Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to the Tom Stevens Show. This is your host, Tom Stevens, a psychotherapist here in Houston, Texas. He's been in practice for a long time and wanted to create a talk show that was for you to listen to. Parents out there, people in relationships, people who have questions about raising children, we have your answers. And tonight we have an awesome, awesome show for you, something that... You know, you really don't get answers for anywhere else, and that is about children and when they could benefit from psychological testing. And psychological testing has come a long way in our world over the last 18 years I've been doing this, and we're going to shed some seriously cool light on it with our featured guest tonight, Dr. Susanna Rosen, clinical psychologist here in Houston and a friend of mine. But I will tell you, I am excited to be on the show today because... It's summer, and with summer in Houston comes heat, and with summer in Houston comes, you know, we're not very far into summer, and it comes stress, it comes anxiety, it, it, it's what do we do to find things for our children to do, how do we keep from it being uh, an unending slumber party of staying up all night and eating candy, and I thought, you know what? Let's bring in our special co-host here, Kelly. Oh, my dear, <laughs> Kelly. You have the answers for all of this. You are super mom. You just came off of a weekend, if I can say, of a birthday for one of your children and Father's Day. So tell us how it went. It was great. We had a great time. It was a little chaotic, but it is okay. I cleaned the entire house today. I didn't know where to put everything. <laughs> <laughs> too many you know, gifts. Gotta... You know, too many gifts, Tom. <laughs> Exactly, and I I can feel a little bit of your pain because my wife, uh, amazing Jill, had our second son, Tony, on her birthday, and so every year I get to celebrate two birthdays at once, and I've handed the the unenviable chore for a guy of trying to celebrate two different birthdays at one time, and I'm telling you, I am not cut out for that at all. 
it's it was a we little need crazy. To farm that out. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, we poor Reese had to had to go see Superman on uh, her birthday, but she sure didn't mind. It was a good show, or excuse me, Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, tonight is a great show, Kelly. We have Susanna Rosen on the show. I, I have a bazillion questions here for her because. Testing is what people call me about all the time. You know because you take the calls at our office, and we get mm-hmm. calls from people that say, you know, can Tom uh, give my child some medication? Can Tom test my child for ADD? Can uh, where, where do I go to get some help? And so we're kind of a catch-all of everything. And Susanna's one of my very favorite referral sources to send children and families to just to find out what's going on with children. And that could be ADHD. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could be you know, trouble at school and they're not sure what's going on. And testing today has come such a long way because it helps our children, it helps us really find the best way to help our children. Do you ever feel the pressure today, Kelly, in schools especially where everybody has to keep up and there is a pressure every year with testing in schools to try and pass the benchmark, to try and pass the the state test? Is it not? Do you feel it? Oh, all the time. I mean, you know, it's terrible when your your 10-year-old goes to school crying because she's scared she's not going to pass. You know, it's terrible. It is not at all what we grew up with. You know, we had testing when we grew up, but it, it just wasn't that much pressure to say, you know, the fact of whether you're going to go to school next year in the same and in, in the next grade depends on this test. And that's what they feel a lot of times. So that's perfect uh, response from a parent who watches her child. And Susanna, I know, sees it all the time because there are so many times today children are tested or measured in school in a way that doesn't suit their learning style. And so they're stuck trying to have to fit with the mainstream, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Hey, Kelly, did you see – I didn't watch this, but when I read the story, I just had to share it with you. Did you see the Miss USA pageant? No, my crew is not into the pageanty kind of thing. So no, I did not. But wasn't it Miss uh, Wyoming? No, it was Miss Utah. Utah. I, I just have to have a side note because this you, you're talking about education. Okay, this can I set the stage for you? Please do. Okay, just real quick because this is too funny. My uh, this. This judge asked the question of a 20-year-old, 21-year-old uh, Miss Utah, and the question was, a recent report shows that in 40% of American families with children, women are the primary earners, yet they continue to earn less than men. What does it say about society? Okay, oh, so good question. 40% of our families, yeah, women are primary earners. What does it say about our world that, you know, they're still making less than men? Okay. Here's her response after she pauses for a minute. I think we can relate this back to education and how we are continuing to strive to, long pause, figure out how to create jobs right now. That's the biggest problem right now. I think especially the men are um, seen as the leaders of this, and so we need to see how to create education better so that we can solve this problem. Thank you. Okay, now, that oh, was heaven. So we're not shining a very good light, uh, to me, on how educated 
these pageant women are, which they should be. And I think is when it's kind of ask a question like that, they need to at least be educated on, you know, some of the important topics of the world. But do you think it's the stress that did that to her? I mean, did she just cave? Like, I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm so nervous. Or what? Oh, absolutely. Because I feel that way when I get on on the radio show. You know, I know exactly what I'm going to say when you ask me the same question every week. And I'm like, bleh, 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 bleh. So, yes, I could totally feel her pain. <laughs> Oh, I just, I feel so bad. But yet, you know, Kelly, year after year, I see videos from these pageant shows where they give responses kind of like this. Like, you think we got to catch on eventually. Absolutely. Here you go. Last story. I found an app out of Canada that they're testing right now that actually allows people, if they download the app, to take pictures of cars who are illegally parked and actually get a cut of the fine when the people pay their ticket. So you can actually go around, find people that are illegally parked, snap a picture, send it in, and when the people get the ticket, because they're GPS located, they will pay a fine and you'll get a piece of that ticket. How about that? That's what I'm talking about. Um, That's going to be my new part-time job. (laughs) Now, does that turn our world upside down like eventually where does this lead is everybody trying to catch everybody in the act you know what what are you going to do everybody you know it's like kids tattletelling on each other it's like really i know everybody has a phone and everybody wants to use it kelly tell everybody how they can call in to talk to Susanna tonight if they want to ask a question about hey and i'm telling you you want to ask a question tonight because Susanna is expensive i love her but i'm telling you <laughs> you get what you pay for when you go to her but it's just like coming to me too you know it is expensive to get a therapist this is free therapy it's expensive to go get uh, psychological or developmental testing done, and now is your chance to ask a question of her and get some feedback, y'all, for free. Go ahead, tell them. Absolutely. You guys can call in at 347-838-9737, and if you have a question and you're brave enough to ask it, go ahead and hit one, and then I'll come online and talk with you for a minute, and then we'll get you on air. Or you can tweet Tom at Tom Stevens L. As in Larry, P is in Paul, C is in Cat. If you have a question, and he can um, ask it for you, so that's a great way to to get a hold of us tonight. But in the future, to get a hold of us, you can reach see us on our new Facebook page, and we're very excited about it. It's the mm-hmm. Tom Stevens. Um, see, look, see, I'm like a pageant queen. Hello, Counseling, I totally lost it. Counseling, consulting, and motivational speaking. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like saying we need to create education, which, by the way, we've already created, so we don't need to create education. All right. So, so, Kelly, you go on. I will talk to you a little later in the show. I'll talk to Mary Lehmans, our friend from Go Local Advertising, at the top of the hour at 9 o'clock, and uh, you take care of the calls and let me know if they come in. I will. We have some great shows coming up, so we'll talk about it at the end of the show. Oh, yes. Do you want to do that now? Whatever you would like. Well, go ahead. Before we bring Suzanne in, go ahead. Tell us. We, we have a great one next Monday. I know that. We do. We have Tina Fuller coming in. She has written a book. It's called It's My Turn. It's about having narcissist a narcissistic parent. So that's going to be really, really exciting. And in July, um, we're going to have some shows uh, about adoption and fostering, 
um, the the taboo subject infidelity in marriage. Um, also on July 27th, we're going to have a psychiatrist, um, Robbie Wright, on, which we're very excited about, um, to really talk about if if your child really needs to go on meds and how you go about that kind of thing. And then on July 15th. Um, we're going to have a topic about addictions, um, really signs to look for in teenagers and adults, and and all that kind of good stuff. So we have a busy we have a busy July. A busy July. We're going to keep it going through the summer, y'all. Our goal here, Kelly and I, want to bring you the topics that we really get calls about every day, so that you can get answers that you need. So pass this on to your friends, please, and call us in tonight. Kelly, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. All right. Okay, before I bring on my special guest, again, 347-838-9737, just a little bit about her because she's got quite a background and has had um, just a long career, amazing career. Uh, She is a clinical psychologist here in Houston, Texas. Susanna Rosen, she has been practicing, looks like almost 30 years, has two daughters that are grown adults. Um, and has also been married 31 years. The interesting thing with her is Spanish is her first language. I've known Susanna for years now, and I did not know that Spanish was or is or was her first language, and also um, that she sees adults also in her practice being a clinical psychologist. And one of the great things I've loved about Susanna is that she does therapy too, One of the traits that we've lost in our world with psychiatry these days, I believe, that used to be around kind of when I started back in the mid-'90s, was they used to do therapy too, and they would do medication with therapy, and it was a a great combination. And with the advent of managed care, I think we've lost all of that. And so it's really good to see somebody who does testing and assessment along with the practice also. And one thing we'll touch on probably later is she does forensic work, interviewing criminals, cause, so that's pretty kind of cool. Susanna, you there? I'm here. Susanna, let's give her some applause. Welcome to the show. I am so glad to have you on. I know, Susanna, how valuable your time is, especially in the evening, and you are so gracious oh, to join I'm us tonight. To be, I'm delighted to be on. Thank you for having me. You know, I feel like with Susanna and I, you know, we spend our days or our contact emailing back and forth with each other and probably know each other best that way. So to get an hour to sit on the phone with you and talk, Suzanne, it's pretty cool. That is very cool. I appreciate it. Yes, we've shared a lot of cases together, and uh, I trust and value her uh, opinion and her work highly. Susanna, just tell just tell people out there, because you've got the best words for it, if there's regular parents out there, and they could be parents of a 3-year-old or parents of a 15-year-old, or like you said, even an adult, but mostly what we're talking about tonight is the children and the teens. What do you do so you can make sense of it? People call me every day asking about whether, like I said, I could prescribe medication or if I can test their child for ADHD, and they don't understand therapist versus uh, psychologist versus testing versus medication. Tell them what you do. Right, and I I think that's a very good way of starting this uh, conversation because that happens to me as well. A lot of times I will get um, phone calls about folks who are needing um, sometimes even speech evaluations and occupational therapy evaluations, or they're interested in medication, which, of course, none of those are things that as a psychologist I can do. So there's quite a bit of crossover in, in what we all do. Um, 
in my training allows me to do more in terms of, as you were discussing prior to me coming on the air, um, assessments in terms of um, educational assessments, cognitive assessments, IQ, uh, testing for attention deficit disorders, testing for learning disabilities. Um, sometimes we get referral questions that have to do with we're trying to differentiate between uh, maybe a what we would call maybe a, a simple case of anxiety or depression versus something more um, serious like a mood disorder. Um, and it gets complicated, but I think the, the, the best way to sort through some of that at times is to be able to do a little bit of testing and try to figure out what's going on before we actually invest in, in treatment or even know what kind of treatment would be better for, for the child. Yeah, so when people call you, how do you figure that out? If somebody calls you, I know obviously if you can kind of gather the speech or OT or, or something else, you'd be able to kind of refer that on. But how can you tell whether somebody comes in and needs like, you know, full-blown testing, like something's going on? Do you talk to them for a little bit? Do you I, have I them do. fill something I out? Do. A lot of times what I do is, and, and I like to call people back directly because a lot of times what I like to do is to spend maybe 15, 20 minutes on the phone asking a little bit of what's going on. And there are some important questions to ask. A lot of times one of the things that I that I like to know right away is what prompted someone to call me or someone like me right away? Was there some type of crisis? Uh, you know, for example, was the child very upset? Did the, did the child's grade suddenly drop? Um, you know, th those are very important questions. And then I try to go back and get a little bit more of a history of, of what's been going on because sometimes what you see is that there is a building up of, of, of the problem so that uh, you know, kids sometimes bump along a little bit, and then they get to a point where either their grades will drop or they start having more serious behavior problems. And as such, then is when you end up getting a call, you know, because it's it's reached the point when something needs to be done. But to answer your question, what I do is I try to get a, a little bit of a history of what happened right before the person decided, the parent decided to call me, and then I tried to go back and get a little bit of a history of symptoms. How long has the problem been going on? Um, how long have the parents been concerned? What areas of the child's life uh, is affecting and so on? And a lot of times it's something very specific. A lot of times it's something like um, my child uh, is having difficulty reading or my child is not paying attention in school. The teacher tells me that he or she is very distracted during class. What do I do? And at that point, I think uh, that's when I start narrowing it down and saying, well, this person may need more cognitive testing, may need more educational testing, or may need some uh, emotional type of testing, personality testing to try to figure out what is going on um, emotionally. Is it something that is more situational, for example, mm -hmm. related to mom and dad uh, having problems or someone in the family died, those are very specific environmental stressors that can affect a child, or, or is this something that does not seem to have an environmental stressor, in, in which case that's also very important information. So you can see how, as, as I ask these questions, I start getting sort of a, a picture of, of what might be the problem. And I always like to set up in my mind 
what I call hypotheses, right? Some some possible explanations or reasons for what's going on, and then I have to set up a plan with that person as to how I'm going to go about testing these hypotheses, right? If I think it's ADD or attention deficit disorder, how would I test for that? If I think it's a, it's a learning problem, how do I test for that? And so on, and I have to present this to the parents at that point. Well, and I'm telling you, one of the things that Susanna has been great about over the years is is really understanding when she forms an opinion, it doesn't just come from the top of her head. She's done a lot of testing. She's done a lot of question asking. And with the experience, I think, it really comes together with everybody's feedback and her contact with the child. But it kind of answered my next question, Susanna, which was, People ask me this all the time. How are you any different, Tom, than, you know, if I go to this clinic or this agency or go to Texas Children or go to Depulsion? And, you know, there are a lot of different counselors or therapists out there. I always tell them, well, I do always say you get what you pay for. I think it's the same with with mechanics or with people who are working on your house. You've got to be careful with uh, who's helping you. But the level of care and the time that's consumed, many times for therapy, I tell them, when you go to an agency, you run the risk of turnover, uh, therapists running in and out of there. You run the risk of therapists who have really overloaded schedules and they're having to work a lot of hours. And so their concentration, their ability to be present many times, is it's more difficult. And yeah. in a private setting, you're able to talk with them more privately, like you said, spend 15 minutes on the phone with them, follow up and give a little more effort. And that's what I tell my clients is, I'm able to spend more time of you because I don't have to see as many of you and I'm not pushed and pushed constantly. Is it the same in your practice? Because that's what they, I think, ask a lot of. Are you going to be able to take care of me when I come in there? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, one of the comments that you made early on is how expensive testing can be, which is mm-hmm. absolutely true. Um, that's one of the, the issues that I have to broach with, with parents when they call me about testing their child is, how long it takes, because a lot of times I think um, the assumption is that you're going to go in, uh, someone is going to interview you or your child for maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, even an hour, and then draw some conclusions and and present you with a treatment plan. With psychological testing, in contrast, basically you're administering, you have to administer these um, standardized tests that have to be administered a certain way each and every time, you cannot have shortcuts. You cannot omit tests, uh, subtests, and so basically you end up administering test batteries that sometimes take five or six hours to take to administer. And so, and then it takes time to score them, and it takes time to interpret them and, and uh, write a report, as you know, because you, you've gotten some of my reports. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you have to sit down and, and discuss test test results um, with with the parents. The other thing that happens is that sometimes there is follow-up uh, that is required. For example, I will contact you and give you some feedback, and sometimes I'll have to do the same thing with the child's pediatrician. For example, in a case when uh, we do have a confirmed diagnosis of ADHD or hyper- hyperactivity, and, and one of the recommendations might be that the child needs uh, to be put on some type of medication to try to control the, the symptoms, the hyperactivity, the behavioral problems, and so on. And sometimes we have to give feedback to a pediatrician because the pediatrician wants to know why is this uh, other professional referring this my, my client to me or my patient to me for medication. 
and sometimes we have to talk to the school counselor because uh, part of the recommendation entails that the child may need some special type of tutoring or accommodation, or let's say that we need to, to put this child to the, in the front of the class rather than the back so he, he or she is not distracted. So all, all that entails, after you do the te- or after I do the testing or someone like me does the testing, it entails follow-up to make sure that that child gets what he or she needs. Um, mm-hmm. Because test results, are, to me, are only as good as uh, how useful are they. Are they useful or not? And so if they're useful to you as a referral source, then um, not only will you keep referring to me, but also that child that you're seeing uh, is going to get better, is going to have improvement. And likewise, if if the recommendations that I make for the school or for the pediatrician are useful, then that child is going to feel better. And, and again, that's the ultimate uh, the, the ultimate goal here is, is for that child to receive his services that they need and to, to get better, for the symptoms to improve. That's a good point because it, it takes kind of a team and it takes everybody coming together. And time, like you said, this might help some people too because I think a lot of people have had testing, whether it's been an issue through their school district or whether it's been an issue through the pediatrician or something they just pursued on their own. And I've had so many different experiences with clients in the past. I grew up in this field working with foster care and adoption and and doing a lot of work with CPS and Depelchin and other places. And uh, I've had times where people have come in to do psychological testing. I was a little surprised by this, you can tell me, and they were out the door 45 minutes later. Correct. So it, to me, I, I looked at I kind of just wonder how what what do you do in 45 minutes that you can formulate an opinion about somebody and it's the same Susanna as people who um test for ADHD let's just bring that since it's so popular and they will spend you know 30 minutes with the child maybe their parents and and just do it kind of based on how they see the child in the room right on and a, on you know some checklist basically so Tell me, like, tell some of the people out there, because a lot of them have had testing and maybe didn't have great experience or are leery of that, like, you know, if they've had a bad experience, what is the difference and what should good testing be, like, time-wise and everything? Well, time-wise, my opinion is that, that one, as a psychologist, should not give any more tests than what is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes we see testing that's too short. And just like you mentioned, and sometimes we we can see testing that's way too long, that that um, we have administered more tests than are required. So I think basically the decision that I have to make as a diagnostician is that I have to look at the, at the uh, presenting symptoms and I have to decide how do I answer the question um, so that everybody's satisfied, so that we can actually confirm or or, disc- or rule out a certain diagnosis, and we can use ADHD as an example because I think that's something that we can all relate to. Um, and so we can go from the extreme that you were talking about where the parents go in and talk to a psychologist or talk to maybe sometimes the pediatrician, and they may sit down and talk about symptoms, and they fill out symptom checklists, which, by the way, I do administer that as well, but that's only a very tiny part of my, my testing. And then based on that, uh, if the child seems to have, um, uh, you know, impulsive behavior and disruptive behavior, and if they meet certain cri- behavioral criteria, 
um, then they get the diagnosis and they're put on medication or they, uh, they're they given certain modifications and things like that. And sometimes that works. I think the problem with that approach is that sometimes we tend to miss out on many other important issues that may be going on. Um, attention deficit disorder, for example, is something, it's a diagnosis that usually has what we call comorbidity, meaning that along with ADHD, we tend to have other problems that can be behavioral problems and often learning problems. So that kids who have ADHD sometimes suffer from problems such as dyslexia, which are difficulties learning to read, dysgraphia, which may which could be entail difficulties with writing, spelling. Um, so what we when I do testing or when the psychologist does proper psychometric testing what we're looking at is not just whether or not a person has ADHD or not. We're also trying to see, get a, a picture of how that person's, how the child's brain is processing information. How are they, when you provide them with oral information, do they remember it, for example? Because kids with ADHD tend to have very poor listening skills, you know? And, and one mm-hmm. of the things that parents come in and tell me is it goes in one ear and out the other. I don't know if you've heard that before. They just don't listen. <laughs> And so you can imagine how that affects a child in school, right? Because they're sitting and listening to teachers and not because they don't want to, but they just don't get a lot of what is being orally presented. So we need to make okay. accommodations for that. That's a good example. That's, I have to ask you about that because, Susanna, tell me, you know, I've been in the field for a long time. Tell me how much today, because everybody's asking, you know, how did all these kind of so-called disorders start just popping up because when we grew up this stuff wasn't around and now all of a sudden we got this ADHD we got Asperger's we got things that come on now and I think there's a lot of people especially men I'm a guy I can say this have all these questions about you know what when I grew up this stuff wasn't around and how is is our system the way either we're raising children or the way they're growing up in school creating more is it bringing out more because you've got 30 children in the classroom you've got a lot of pressure with testing would it is that doing some of this well i i think i i don't think so i think that it's uh I, we have become more sophisticated about being able to to diagnose those problems i can go back and remember being a kid sitting in school and there always was a a, a little probably a boy in the class somewhere who was acting up and, and uh, couldn't sit still and or somebody who couldn't read in the class or who was having trouble. And, and so, and I remember back then, we used to sometimes have mean names for kids like that or we used to think of them as, as dumb or lazy. And I, I hate to say this, uh, uh, to go mm-hmm. back and recall me thinking these things about classmates, you know, mm-hmm. that they were just not a, you know, I think, oh, that person must be really lazy because they make bad grades. Or, or they're always jumping up and down. It must mean that their parents don't teach them manners. And, and so I think we, we make these assumptions, or at least I used to make these assumptions when I was a little kid. Um, but I remember having classmates, who, and I'm sure you do too, who had behavior issues or learning issues or even family members that had these problems. We just didn't know what to call them. Um, hey, Susanna, let me tell you. <laughs> People laugh, but my wife knows. I was one of these kids, I'm telling you. People don't think of it when they see me today because of kind of I'm an introvert and I uh, hide back and you don't really see introverts with a talk show typically. But in a crowd, I'll get that way. When I was younger, 
I was very hard to manage, very impulsive. I have to be ADHD, or I have to still be today to some extent. I've just learned how to manage it. When I was in uh, first grade, I spent the entire year, I tell this when I go speak in public, in this little house inside the classroom with me and Gary Evelo. I've never seen him since, but I remember his name so vividly because we sat on two benches, and in this house was a stack of books. And whenever you were too hard to manage, you went in that house. And we sat there the entire year, Susanna, and I was one of the best readers the class has ever seen because that's all I did. And then second grade came, and the lady didn't know what to do with me, and I was public school back then. She spanked. That's what they did in public school. And that really was my favorite teacher I ever had, believe it or not, because she stuck with me, and I just remember her never giving up on me. And then third grade year came, and, you know, that was when line writing started. But you know what my second grade teacher did for me? She halfway through the year, gave me cans of Play-Doh. And I I sat at the desk, and I literally had Play-Doh with me the whole day. And I'll tell you, I never felt, in fact, everybody else was jealous in a way, I never felt like I was looked at funny. I I just was finally able to manage my hands a little bit better. And it's all they knew how to do back then to help children like me, you know? But you had a teacher who was, uh, you know, concerned yes. and, and creative and flexible. And sometimes you still find teachers like that, thankfully. But sometimes I think if those teachers had a little bit more information about what's the best way to teach someone, because obviously you could be taught and, 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 and you were smart and all that. It's just that because of maybe the impulsivity and what we call self-regulation problems because you didn't know what to do with yourself, right? At that point, it was hard to teach you because the teachers didn't know how to reach you. And and this teacher insightfully realized that you are what we probably call a kinesthetic learner, meaning that you (laughs) like to do things with your hands and you're a hands-on kind of guy. And she discovered that without testing you. But if you had been tested maybe in first grade, someone might have been able to say, hey, you know, Keep this kid busy. Give him things to do because that's going to make him learn better. He's going to, he, you know, you require more of a multi-sensory uh, approach to learning as opposed to forcing you to passively sit down and just listen to lectures and, and oral instruction. In which case, it was pro- that was probably what was going on back then. It was going in one ear and out the other, and you were so distracted and and bored with with school, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So some of those things, sometimes if they can be figured out, it sounds to me like by third grade somebody had sort of figured out what was going on and could channel your energy into a way that you could learn. Sometimes I see kids where that doesn't happen until fifth grade or fourth grade, and and it's never too late in my opinion, but I think it causes sometimes unnecessary suffering in children. And, And I think that the main problem, one of the main problems that I see as well is probably something that you know very well because of of the the kids you work with is problems with self-esteem. That if Mm -hmm. the child hasn't been properly diagnosed at a certain age, they start to feel bad about themselves. They they start to internalize things about, I'm stupid, uh, I'm a bad kid, right? And I think sometimes if you provide treatment, whether that treatment is seeing someone like you in, in counseling or or seeing a doctor and getting on some medicine. When you have Dr. Wright in your show, I think she's a great psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to offer a lot of helpful information about that. Um, or, or 
because of my testing to get some type of accommodations at school to maybe get a little bit more help in reading or writing or organizing homework assignments. Sometimes are things as simple as when we tell parents, you know, have your child sit, don't let them go into their bedroom to do homework, have them mm-hmm. sit at the dining room table where you can supervise them. You know, mm-hmm. and, and if you uh, stay by them and help them with homework, sometimes they, they get to do the homework a lot quicker and they're not walking around the house and getting distracted and things like that. So so there's right. a lot of um, a lot of recommendations that can come from testing. Sometimes one of the, the recommendations that comes out of my testing is that kids sometimes may need a little bit more testing by another professional, in which case I'll say, for example, if I find a child who has a lot of problems with handwriting or seems to um, not be able to write or form letters, sometimes I will send them to an occupational therapist. And sometimes an occupational therapist will send people to me for testing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I will send someone I tested to see you because they need counseling or someone you may send mm-hmm. sometimes you may send someone that oh. used to me for testing. Right. So That's it, a good it's, point. It's a, yeah, it's a process that can start at, at, at in many different places, as you know. Susanna, I want to go to a call. I want to get our – can you take a question? Sure. Okay. I want to get our good friend Mary Lehman's on the air. Mary is um, on the show every time, Susanna, because she actually revamped and made my website look cool. And, Susanna, I noticed you don't have a website. I don't have a website. Okay, so we've got to change that because you're way too popular to not have a website. And I'm sure if Mary gets on the air now, she's going to tell you, Susanna, a psychologist as important as you, people have got to be able to Google that name and pop to your website. Right, Mary? Oh, that is so true. So true. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mary, did you have a question for her? I do, actually. Um, I was wondering, because I've got three small children, and I was wondering um, exactly how would you talk to a young child who can't really verbally communicate things to you? How would yeah, I like how to- young would it be, Susanna? Because she's got three young children, uh, really young children, two twins. And, you know, what? How how low does it go, and what do you do with them? Well, depending on the age of a child, we have um, – the the tests that we give for for younger children, uh, let's say we have scales, for example, like the Bailey scales, um, the Stanford Binet. Some of those tests can be given to children who are very very young. The the younger the child, the more we're looking at at developmental issues. You know, like um, and and we look at problems like difficulties communicating if there's like a speech delay, things like that, that because we work with young children and, and we're used to seeing them, we can sort of compare. Um, and I remember one case a long time ago of, of a mom who came with her young child, um, and we were actually, all we did was sit on the floor in my office, and we were chatting and observing the child on playing, and all of a sudden the little boy went and just bit his mom in the arm. And I was observing him and, and basically realized that this little boy who was, two and a half, had not uttered one word uh, the whole time he was in my office. And I asked the mom, I said, is he talking or does he talk? And mom said, no, he really does not talk. And now mom had, in this case, had children who were kind of late talkers, you know, and so for her this was normal. But what I did, um, what I thought this child needed, which proved to be the case, 
even though he was biting and having problems, what he really needed was a good speech evaluation and, and speech therapy. And that kind of solved the behavioral problem for him. So I think that, So, it, but as far as the testing, uh, what we do a lot of times with young children, we do sometimes through observation, and we also give them tasks. You know, we give them tasks that, that we presume that other children his or her age can do, and we see how they perform, and there's different criteria for, for scoring. So amazingly enough, we do have tests for for very young children to try to test their fund of knowledge, their their memory, what they know, um, how well they can use their hands. Because one of the things with young children that I've noticed is that if they're, if they're experiencing developmental delays, um, that tends to make them frustrated and it t- tends to create problems for them in terms of relating to other children. So think about a, a little boy or a little girl who can't talk very well. It's having a speech delay or a speech problem and can't communicate with other kids. So you can you can sort of see how that starts a chain reaction of not being able to um, to socialize well with other children. So uh, So sometimes that's what we do. We give these tests and we try to figure out what is the origin of the problem. Sometimes it may look like something that's emotional, but it's really not. Maybe something as simple as the fact that that child needs some speech therapy or needs to have some occupational therapy because they're very uncoordinated or because they're having sensory integration problems and every time they go into a situation where there's a lot of noise, they get upset and they overreact and so forth. So uh, I know I'm Suzanne, making I'll tell long. you, one of the things that uh, you know you and I have worked on a lot, and I think there's a misconception out there, when somebody goes for psychological developmental testing, any of that that, that you do, especially a full battery of all the testing, it's very often true that very bright children have difficulty communicating, socializing, and so they come across, you know, they can be very bright in certain areas and very deficient in other areas, especially today. And so we look at, at testing sometimes as, ooh, that's bad, kind of like going to the doctor and something's wrong with me. And, and testing so many times, I always say it's an MRI for the emotional life of a child. It kind of gives this full-body scan of you can figure out the best way your child learns. You can figure out the ways that your child can communicate and where they might struggle, like you said, sensory issues that they might have, and that's why they're reacting when they get into crowds or loud rooms. Like very bright children many times have – difficulties in certain areas socially and will not do well in school because of the way that school is taught to them. That's absolutely correct, and I think that that's why sometimes it's very important to find out um, exactly. I think if a child goes to school and has absolutely no problems, my rule of thumb is I always tell parents if, if there's no issues, I wouldn't test a child because I'm curious. I mean, I think it's too time-consuming and too expensive. It's like I wouldn't have an MRI or a CT scan if I'm not having any symptoms. I mean, what's the mm-hmm. point of doing that? But I think if there are any any sorts of issues or concerns, um, I think it's a good idea to go and talk to someone like you or like me, and then we can make a proper mm-hmm. referral um, to, to what, whatever specialist the child needs because a lot of times, as you said, it could be sensory integration, in which case it wouldn't be my job or your job, but it would be more mm-hmm. than the job of an occupational therapist. But mm-hmm. all of us are trained to look for these problems. So even though you and I may not be able to treat sensory integration problems, 
we we see them, we can recognize them, and then we can send the child to the proper professional. And sometimes it's a collaborative effort. I do the testing, you do the therapy. The occupational therapist may do some occupational therapy if needed, or if the child needs a little bit of speech therapy, the child gets a speech therapy. If the child is really having a difficult time with the impulse control, and before they get kicked out of school, you know, maybe a little bit of medicine is in order, and a a good child psychiatrist or the pediatrician Mm -hmm. sometimes can prescribe those. So... um, but I think uh, it's very important to try to figure out what it is that we're treating before we start treating. Is it ADHD? Is it anxiety? Mm-hmm. And I think that's when testing is helpful to us. And I'll tell you this, Mary, to answer your question also, it takes a professional, I can't say it enough, who's had a lot of experience, who is well-connected. There is a reason my list is so short when it comes to psychiatrists or psychologists people that I refer to, and it's because, number one, I need to trust them. Number two, they need to have had proven results with clients with me. And number three, they need to have a a wealth of knowledge and resources, Mary. So if anybody ever goes, especially with young children, an experienced person will know how to ask the right questions and look for the right things to see whether or not something's really going on with your child. So it, it takes trying to find the the person that has the most experience and is going to get the answers. So, yeah. hey, Mary, uh, yeah. Susanna doesn't have a website. Okay, so well, tell Susanna, just like you'd tell the people out there, why having a website, not just a website, because I've had a template-driven, basic kind of, you know, snoozer website, having a good, flashy website and being connected to social media like Facebook, like Twitter, like these places, helps. Well, I'm telling you, um, Susanna has so much great information that um, all that stuff people look for, um, you know, before they even decide to go talk to anybody, they're going to go online. So it's um, it's so great to have all that information, and she's really an authority. Um, and so the, the Internet's kind of missing out because she doesn't have her information out there. There's plenty of people that have been looking for those things that she's talking about, how to test, you know, know if my child's ready to be tested or any of that stuff. I mean, whenever anybody searches online for those particular questions, um, Susanna has the answers for. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of great information that maybe they won't call to become an actual client, but you'd be able to help them by just giving them some information. And, um, you know, the, the Internet is so amazing about how you can just search for one thing and you can find all these different, um, all these different answers. So having that right answer um, and having an authoritative uh, figure giving you that answer is so important um, to help people. So. If you okay. have an email, you can always email me. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Right. Right. <laughs> but you bring up a good point because sometimes people will not call. I mean, they may not even call me, but they have access to to that information online. Um, because the other thing about about being on the web is that there's a lot of good information, but sometimes there is also misinf- misinformation out there. Absolutely. Um, One of the biggest uh, sources of misinformation that I can see sometimes pertains to the use of medication to treat ADHD, where there's a lot lot of good information but also a lot of negative information. Uh, And I think that, you know, a lot of of what I have to do with parents, if I diagnose their child with ADHD and I bring up to them the option of perhaps medication would be one of the options, which I don't prescribe but I can refer them to someone, is that there are a lot of concerns about that type of medicine being addictive, 
it's going to cause brain damage to the child, it's going to change their personality, and, and so... Um, and I think that, that a lot of this is information that people sometimes get from the web, not from professional sources, but mm-hmm. from um, just information that they Google a certain topic and, you know, a lot of information comes out. Some of it is very accurate and very good, and some of it maybe not so accurate and, and not so good. So, okay. Right, right. Yeah. So, Mary, tell them your website, tell them how to get to you, and Susanna can just mosey on over after the show to my website, tomstevens.us, and check it out, and you'll see, Susanna, I put a blog in, just like I did for today's show, about the topic tonight, and people can kind of read a short article from me, but Mary, tell them where to get to you. Um, I can be found at golocaladvertising.com. All my contact information is there. I'm also on um, LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, Pinterest and all those fun places. You can actually just Google Mary Lehman's and you'll find me all over the place. (laughs) They're all over. Mary is the queen of social media. She will get you to the top of the list. She will get your website set up, whether you're a person, small business, right? You can do a lot. Thank you, Mary. Yes, thank you, Tom. Thank you for I appreciate being. you staying up late tonight. Oh, this is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. No, if she has young children. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, Susanna, she's got young children. She's so used to it. She's not, Yeah. I'm going to bring Kelly back in here, Susanna, because she had a question too. Sure. My assistant, Kelly, she takes all the calls at my office every day and gets a lot of questions, but she's going to be the one a lot of times to give some answers to people. So, Kelly, you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, ask her your question. I am wondering, which, um, what do you believe is the most important between therapy, testing, and medication? Is there one that's better than the other in regards to, you know, when we're deal, dealing with children? Kelly, you know people call our office all the time and they're like, okay, so should I go get the testing first or should I start with the medication first, see how that works, and then call you? Should I start with therapy and then, like, what? If they're going to pick and choose because they don't want to do all three, and I try to tell them about how important all three integrate, but Kelly's got a great question. Which one is most important? It's a great question, and the answer is it depends. Um, and I think, again, uh, a, a lot of time gets sorted through um, at the, at, through treatment. So, for example, I think when a child has uh, severe behavior problems, and, and we think it's ADHD, I think it behooves us all to probably try to do some testing and get this well-documented because it's going to be very important for um, for school, uh, for academic achievement, and I think for the peace of mind of, of the parents. So sometimes in a case, for example, of ADHD, I think probably testing is is the primary thing to do. I'm not always thinking, I mean, it's not always my opinion that when a child is having behavior issues that testing is necessarily the first line. I think a lot of times when a child goes to see someone like you, uh, Tom, for counseling, a lot of times a little bit of counseling and behavioral intervention with the parents, meaning advising the parents how to deal with the problem, takes care of the problem. And I don't think that it's necessary to go and do a lengthy, expensive um uh, test battery like what I would have to administer sometimes in order to to figure that out. So and and for example with medicine I think that med- medication and you'll probably hear this from Dr. Wright immediately is that medicine is usually not the fe- the first line of attack for treatment. That that's something that's probably reserved for 
after maybe some some counseling has been done to see if the counseling has helped or and or if we think that we suspect that there is a a more serious problem that requires medication then sometimes testing should be done and then the medicine is probably um probably I would say the third thing in line so I would say in terms of testing and therapy, it probably depends on the referral question. And, and you know this because you will see uh, your your child patients for a while and then refer them to me after you mm-hmm. work with them for a while. And if, Because in, in, in the course of treatment, you'll find that questions arise that sometimes can be answered through treatment or that the parents bring to you. Um, and then if you start suspecting that there may be some other problems, I think that's when you refer them to me. Um, yeah. Sometimes, if it's ADHD, I think that's something that probably, t- or, or some type of academic problem, I don't think that a lot of times that may not require therapy. It may require testing and, and some medication. Um, but I would say probably, I, w- I would probably say counseling, testing to answer questions, and then medication is probably the third. Um, I would say the, the third line of treatment, probably, in terms well, of my preference. Yeah, and what I always tell people when they call me, because somebody like you is so difficult to get a hold of, I mean, schedule an appointment for, people don't realize that when you do testing and you've got many of the clients I've sent you, you know, it's a four-hour uh, battery of tests that take half a day, sometimes over two different days, that sure. you don't have the space I have. Like, I can see, you know, my clients are an hour. I can see a lot more clients in a day than you can. So when they call me, many times I say, well, go ahead in the meantime, you call Susanna, get on her books, and get something scheduled so that you don't wait. Because if they wait a month to see me and then try to get in and it's another month or so to get to you, it 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 is it can make it hard. So I tell them to go ahead and do it. I usually hold off on the medication until I've seen your testing results. So Right. And, and I think a lot yeah. of times that the, the child psychiatrist, because when you're medicating young children, I think it, it's a little bit trickier and mm-hmm. and and I and my experience is that you really have to convince parents that that's something that the child needs. So so parents typically would like to look at at some type of psychological test data, and and sit down with me and I'm sure with you, and and get a couple of opinions regarding mm-hmm. if if we're recommending medicine, why exactly are we recommending medicine? So you yeah, have to that's, right. That's what I tell them is. You want different opinions, and, and you can always go to a psychiatrist and do an evaluation with them and see what they think and see whether you like them or not. And you can even take walk out with a prescription in your hand, and you don't ever have to use it. It's not like you walk in and you're forced at that point right. to do it. An opinion would be great, and you take a psychiatrist. You take yours, you take mine, and you usually find some kind of consensus there. Susanna, we are running out of time. Here is my big question that I've saved for the very end because I want you to kind of fill the public in. There's a lot. There are thousands of people, believe it or not, that listen to this show and all over the country, really. And one thing that they always ask me about is, number one, like all the spectrum stuff with used to be just autism or not. Now there's Asperger's, and boy, that thing stretches really wide because you can see a child that just, you know, run to the mill, looks like everybody else, and has, you know, uh, different kinds of issues. I've even read things where they say Bill Gates is is kind of on that spectrum. And uh, there's also the issue, like you said, with sensory stuff that goes on. And 
What what is the story out there about children when you mention a spectrum, uh, a spectrum disorder and things that are going on? Because I've had my clients come to you at times, and then I've had them even retest with you because something might not be clear and they need to get tested again to see if everything's still the same or things have cleared up. Well, Can you explain to people what that means, this yeah, whole spectrum I, thing? Yeah, you know, 30 years ago when I was going uh, through training at, at Texas Children's Hospital, to diagnose uh, somebody with autism, they basically had to be uh, non-communicative, pitching fits, knocking their heads against the wall, and boy, have we come a long way from, from those days. I mean, this is only within the span of, of my career. So we've become, again, more sophisticated in trying to identify children. My concern is that maybe we've gone a little bit to the other end of the pendulum, and and sometimes we tend to overdiagnose it as well. I don't know if that makes sense. We have to be a little bit careful because sometimes you see children that may have some characteristics, but we have to be careful sometimes that we don't confuse um, uh, somebody with autism with some someone, for example, with a severe case of obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or or a case of severe anxiety. Uh, sometimes and children may, may have severe social anxiety, and we may tend to look at them as as Aspergers uh, or, or having uh, diagnosis within the spectrum. So. Um, with children, with young children like that, my, my uh, sense is to to try to, which I think is the, the point that you just brought up, that sometimes we bring up questions uh, and, and we don't necessarily want to diagnose too early. I have seen kids at age, um, for example, three who are diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder, which is one of those catch-all phrases for kids who are having developmental delays, and I may see them again at age seven or eight, and they don't look anything like they looked at age three. Mm-hmm. They look so much better you would never be able to uh, to label them as, as uh, having any, any type of autism. So we, I think right. sometimes we have to be a little bit careful to not jump the gun. I mean, I think if a diagnosis needs to be made, you make it. If the diagnosis itself doesn't help a lot, what I say to parents is, look, your child has, severe social anxiety, let's mm-hmm. treat that and then let's see what happens. Uh, if, if that gets treated, does it go away? Does it get better? Uh, does it look more complicated? So sometimes when we're dealing with young children, my um, uh, instinctive reaction, I think, of my first approach or my first suggestion to parents is treat the symptom, treat the problem mm-hmm. that you're faced. Don't jump to a diagnosis. Uh, I'm really concerned not only by calling children autistic too young, right. but, but also by calling children bipolar too young. That's right. We we hear a lot of that, that there's a lot of children now with bipolar disorders, which is something that was unheard of. So we have to be careful that we're not diagnosing children who are, who are having tantrums as, mm-hmm. as being bipolar. And, and so a, a cautionary tale there, I think, for all of us, uh, whether we're professionals or parents or, or uh, whatever our jobs are, that we're not um, overshooting diagnosis, too, that we're not overdiagnosing people or, or not doing that too early. Yes. Susanna, we have one minute left. I've I got to get this on. Jill has been in here, and I want to see if she actually has a question or not. Jill, you there? Are you there, honey? Hello. 
Hey. Are you? Hey, Jill. <laughs> Susanna, this Hi, is my wife, Jill. Hi. Hey. Yes. Hi, Jill. Hi, <laughs> Honey, we have 30 seconds. What do you want to say to her? Um, I just have always been so impressed with Susanna and all the things that she's done to help us. Oh, yeah. The clients for, I think it's been 20 years now. I mean, it's really <laughs> been a long time. <laughs> That's too long to admit. Oh, honey, thanks for calling in and saying that. Okay. Well, thank you again for having the show. Okay. Bye. Bye, Bye, Jill. But it's you know it's it's a true collaborative effort. I mean that you um, that you find good people to work with, and that you refer to those people, and Mm -hmm. and that we form a sort of a family of uh, it's a small group. You know, if if you think about it that way, and and we we refer. Uh, you know, my motto is I would never send my kids, send one of my patients to someone that I wouldn't mm-hmm. send my own child to. And right. I think, you know, she, I've used that. That's been my, my motto all my career, and so I always tell parents that. I would never send you to see this person unless, I, you know, if I wouldn't send my own child, I would never send yours. So Exactly. And, Susanna, I have to say it's that you don't have a website. We're, we're running out of time. I'm going to give you phone number 713 Five two three zero 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 zero. It is the easiest number for you to is remember. Seven one three five two three zero 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 zero. Susanna Rosen, psychologist here in Houston, Texas. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so informative, and people can go to BlogTalkRadio.com and listen to the replay of this. And Susanna, just thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you, Tom. You got it, y'all. Thank you for come back Thursday morning. 9.30 a.m. for the next show. This is Tom Stevens saying goodbye, and go visit us at tomstevens.us. We'll see you Thursday. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.